Actually, I was hoping to have some nice cold weather. Uh, I've been telling everybody I'm very disappointed. I was hoping to get some good Irish weather, a uh, nice rain. Uh, I always complain about that, but I was longing for that because in Spain we haven't had a drop of rain for about one year. Imagine you, you complain because you don't have rain for three days. We haven't seen rain. Actually, we did see rain for about five minutes just a, a month ago, and uh, it was enough rain just to get your car dirty. You know how that is, or mud everywhere. So uh, praise the Lord. But this afternoon I was just having a, a wonderful time at the back and front yard of the pastor and uh, his wife. It's just a wonderful place to be inspired. Just look around, see God's fingerprint. It's just wonderful. If, you, if you're not sensitive to that, I hope you become sensitive. Because you see, a lot of people say, where is God? He's everywhere. He's, he's right there. He's showing you his uh, handiwork. And I just hope you're sensitive enough to be able to see it and thank him for it. Um, let's go into the word of God first of all. Later on we can um, talk and maybe have the time of, uh, if we can have a time of fellowship. But I really get, like to get into the word tonight uh, straight away. Let's go to Romans chapter 1 verse 14. I will be looking uh, at three verses in the book of Romans. I uh, I made it a goal this year to preach from the book of Romans, preach through the book of Romans, and uh, I thought it was just going to be maybe a six-month project. Well, I've already been doing this for a month and a half, and I'm only on verse 14. I spent just three Sundays on verse 1. I thought, well, that would be sent, you know, three points, and you're out. Well, you know, when you get into God's Word and you start expounding it, go from back to forth, and you see all these things connecting, uh, it's just a marvelous thing. But the three verses that, are, that stick out in, verse, in chapter 1 are these three. I want you to see them with me. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And notice the last, the words there in verse 16, for I am not ashamed. And Paul, I think here, is searching his heart, says, why do I do this? Why do I go through all this suffering, all this torture, People don't seem to want to listen to what I have to say, to the most glorious message ever given. And people will probably mock at Paul when he opened his mouth trying to share the gospel. But here he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And we come to verse 17, and verse 17, many have called it Luther's text. And it goes like this, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we stand before your word, realizing it, that this is an eternal word. 
All the authority from heaven stands behind this written word. And as we come before it, we realize, Lord, that we also have a responsibility to respond. You speak through your word, and the only adequate response is obedience. Help us see this, Father, as we go through this text this afternoon. Allow your spirit, Lord, to move, not just through the preacher, not just through me this afternoon, but, Father, through every listener. And, Lord, help us as we go into this text. If we're just going through the motions when we come to church, if we just, all we do is have Sunday religion, afternoon, a formal Christianity, Lord, transform that to a passionate relationship with you. A relationship that responds always in obedience. I pray, Lord, that you, you will come down upon us and, and speak to us directly, Lord. Help us not miss the message that you have for, this, for us this afternoon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, who's this individual that uh, wrote these words? If you start the chapter, you see the credentials of the Apostle Paul. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the the gospel of God. And immediately in verse 2 through verse 7, Paul gives the credentials of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives the human credentials. And he gives also the... Um, heavenly credentials, if you allow me to put it that way. He says, of the line of David, and then it says, uh, the one that was resurrected from the dead. So he gives us uh, an understanding that Jesus Christ is not just a man, a good man, not just a prophet or a teacher. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He is the Savior. So he gives us the credentials for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gives us from verse 8 all the way to verse 14. He gives us nine characteristics of Christian living. That are very easily seen in the life of the Apostle Paul. And then immediately he moves into these verses. Getting to the point where he says, you know what? Understanding that Jesus Christ is not just the man. He is God in the flesh. And that he resurrected, he conquered that, he resurrected from the dead, and is now sitting at the right hand of God. What else can I do but to proclaim his name? I owe everything to him. Now before Paul's conversion, Paul wasn't always like this. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus presented himself in a post-resurrection appearance. And when Paul, who was then called Saul saw Jesus, he asked him two great questions. We see that in Acts chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. The first question, who are you, Lord? For a long time, he had been persecuting the church. He, saw, he witnessed the, the killing, the, the, the torture of Stephen, one of the faithful disciples in Jerusalem. He supported this killing. This massacre. And uh, he later on uh, went around every way he could to try to uh, punish these people who call themselves Christians. Who he thought were blasphemers. And he did everything in his power to bring them down. 
But on his way to Damascus, he, he came across the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asked this question, who are you, Lord? When he understood Jesus was Lord, then the only appropriate question that could follow was this. What would you have me to do? You know, if you understand who the Lord is, the next question that should arise in your mind and in your heart is, Lord, if you are truly the Savior, if you are truly the Master, if you are the Anointed One, if you are God, the Resurrected One, the only appropriate response would be, Lord, I am your servant. What do you want me to do? Paul became then what I believe was the greatest missionary the world has ever known. And the legacy he left behind has had an effect for thousands of years till this day. And after his death, there was a colony of heaven planted in every major city in the Western region, Western Roman Empire. So I have three questions. One, what was it that so transformed him? What was the philosophy that drove him? What was the motivation that urged him on? And I, we can get a clue in the three I am's that you see in verses 14 through verse 16. I want you to see those. It says, I am a debtor. Underline those words. I am a debtor. Now look in verse 15. It says, I am ready. And then in verse 16, you find the third I am, I am not ashamed. I am a debtor. I am ready. And I am not ashamed. After Paul asked those three questions, he spent the rest of his life trying to understand, trying to live them up, trying to live them up. And uh, if I can only this afternoon write these three I am's in your own heart, we would uh, change from Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon religion or casual Christianity to a transformed life. A life that will be seeking to serve the Lord in all in, the, in its fullest dimension. I have three things for you this afternoon that I hope I can convey effectively. One is Paul was faithful to the obligations of the gospel. How many of us can say that this afternoon? Paul was faithful to the obligations of the gospel. We will see how that word, I am a debtor, those words, I am a debtor, comes into perspective. Paul saw himself as a debtor, first of all, to the Lord Jesus Christ. A debt that he could not pay. And Paul saw himself as a debt to the, to the conquerors of the past. He had killed Christians. And now he's thinking, what can I do with my life? At least I can make it up in some way. And then he's looking towards the future. And he's thinking, how many people still need Christ what can I do about it? And that's where he says to the Greeks and to the barbarians. So Paul was faithful to the obligations of the gospel. And then Paul was flexible to the opportunities of the gospel. Paul just wasn't lucky to fall into this ministry. Paul made himself available. It's not something that just happens. It was something that he said... I must do this. Nothing else is acceptable. So Paul was flexible to the opportunities of the gospel. He could leave any agenda that he had in his, in his life to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? 
And I think these words, I am adapter, now I am ready, explain that very well. Then Paul was fearless of the opposition to the gospel. Let's look at the first one. The first one. Paul was faithful to the obligations of the gospel. I think we, in verse 14, I think we can see that I am adept both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. I am adepter. So the question that comes to my mind right now, what does that mean? Uh, to whom was he in debt? To what was Paul in debt? And we need to understand this before we can even go on. And the first thing that I like to say is Paul saw himself as a debtor, first of all, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 1 again. Paul, immediately you see that comma, and then he says, simply puts it this way. You couldn't put it more simpler. A servant. A servant. Now, but how did he become a servant? By the way, this morning I explained that a servant is not just one that serves. He's thinking, this is the only thing I can do. I'm a bond slave. By free will. This is what I want to do with my life. He made himself available. But how was he uh, in debt with the Lord Jesus Christ? I want you just to hold your, uh, uh, place your finger there and come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19. I want you to see something. If you don't feel like you are adapted to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to see this. Chapter 6, 19. says, what? It's kind of a very emphatical what. Don't you understand this? Don't you know this? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. And notice now, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, when Paul said, I am a debtor, he was saying, I don't belong to myself anymore. I hope Sandra understands in the near future that when she, what she did this morning wasn't just, just receiving Christ. She was giving herself over to the Lord. You know, sometimes when we think of receiving Christ, it really isn't that. It's Christ receiving you. Coming to terms with this idea, all I have to give is my sins, my condemnation. I am a debtor. I could never pay my debt. And Christ came down from the cross, from, from heaven, and died on the cross to pay the wages of my own sins. Paul saw himself as a debtor. Let me ask you, let me tell you one thing. If you're here this afternoon and you have received Jesus Christ, I hope you can say the same thing. I owe my life to the Lord. And by the way, you will never be able to pay it back. That's, a, that's something you will never be able to do. You were bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I found the hymn that expresses this so well. It says, All to him I owe, love so amazing, so divine. Demands, demands my life, my soul, my all. You know, today's um, music, Christian music, uh, is so shallow, I think. Sometimes it goes, I love you, I love you, I love you, I adore you, I adore you, I adore you, I worship you, I worship you. And then you start again, I love you, I love you, I love you. It goes on very, very shallow. But somehow the old hymn seems to pick up the essence. 
So then we see that Paul saw himself as adapted to the conquerors of the past. If you look in Romans chapter 1 verse 8, notice what he says here. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Who is he talking to? He's talking, he's writing this letter to Christians in Rome. By the way, he never established that church. He established many churches, but this church in Rome, somebody else established. And he's talking, he's writing to this church. And he notice what he says, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, Paul had established many churches, but it's this church in Rome that everybody seems to be speaking about. And Paul says, wow, it is not just I that is active in the ministry. I see that God is active with other people. And he's thinking... You know, who are these individuals? Who established that church? Now, if you do a little bit of Bible study, you will understand how this church was established. And I, I'm going to give you my opinion. We have to rewind back to the day of Pentecost. Remember the day of Pentecost? People, from Jews from all over the world, had come to that day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And there were 15 different, na- nation, uh, uh, 15 different groups. And some of them were Romans. Jewish people who were born in Rome. And when they went to the day to Pentecost, what happened? Peter got up, preached the message. Over 3,000 people got saved. Well, then, you know what happened? Pentecost was over. What do you do when the feast is over? You go back home. And so, even without realizing, the word was being spread, even through those who had just gotten saved. Paul saw himself as a debt to the, to the conquerors of the past. He could see how he affected uh, the life of many Christians while he was persecuting them. And while now he is a new person, he is now establishing, uh, he's doing the work that God has called him to do. Something is happening over there in Rome. And Paul is thinking, what was happening while that was happening? What was I doing while that work was being established? I'm sure he could think of Stephen. Remember Stephen? We see him in chapter 6, chapter 7. Stephen gets up, starts preaching. People don't like what he's preaching about. They judge him. He presents a beautiful um, defense in chapter 7. And then we see that he is stoned. And who's holding his clothes? A young man called Saul. And at this point, when he's thinking about Rome, he's, I'm, I'm sure Paul was thinking, you know, what happened after the stoning of Stephen? I persecuted the church, but it didn't stop the church from growing. So he's now thinking about those who have held the torch and stood strong. And he's thinking, I am adapted to those that are still holding strong. I am doing the work, yes, but there are others who never gave up. What must I do with my life? You know, then we see in... Paul saw himself as adapted to those ahead of him, of him. And this is where verse 14 comes in. I am adapted both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. It seems like it only presents two groups. Any Greeks over here? Any Greeks? Can I see your hand? I guess you all fall in the group of barbarians. Hey, wives, now you have a, a verse in the scripture as an excuse to call your husband a barbarian. The word barbarian actually doesn't show in the, in the Greek text. It, uh, it is translated from the word uh, foreigner. In other words, if you're not a, a Greek, you're a foreigner. Well, I guess I'm a foreigner. 
And so what Paul is trying to say is, if you are from that high-ranking, very knowledgeable group called the Greeks that have all the philosophy, all the culture, or if you're a foreigner or barbarian, one that is simply very, you know, doesn't have all that knowledge, it doesn't make any difference. There's no uh, better Christian, better individual, better human. We're all sinners. So Paul, what he's really saying is, everybody needs the gospel. I need to go over there to Rome now. And then we see the second point is Paul was flexible to the opportunities of the gospel. Look at verse 15. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. I am a debtor. And then he moves on to I am ready. Do you know the problem today with most of us? It is that we are inflexible. We have an agenda. And if God was to speak to us this afternoon and say, I want you to change your agenda, we would not be flexible. Imagine somebody here has a thriving business and, uh, and you, you know, money's coming in. Uh, would you be flexible enough with the Lord said, I want you to sell your business and become a missionary? Would the Lord be able to uh, uh, jump into your agenda and say, uh, cancel all your appointments? This is what I want you to do. And Paul said, Lord, I am ready. Most of the time, we're not ready to change our schedule. Suppose um, you have a career planned. I know what I want to do with my life. I want to be a, a, a doctor. I want to be a medical doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I, want to, I, want to, I have my future all planned out. When you reach 16, 17, 18, and you know what you want, have you included God in it? Paul had his life all settled. I mean, he had the power. He had the prestige. He had uh, the respect. He had, he had it all. You could say he had made it. But when God said, God appeared to him and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And here in this passage, we see him saying, Lord, I am ready. But what is he ready to do? Well, if you were to, if, uh, this is how I, I, I see it. Uh, if God was to say to you this afternoon, hey, I want you to go to the, to the Caribbean and have a wonderful uh, three months vacation under a palm tree and a coconut, you know, and just rainy day watching the waves come in. How many of you will be ready for that? Can I see your hand? <laughs> you, were, you really want to suffer with Christ, don't you? <laughs> but the Lord said, I want you to go to Rome. Rome at that time was not a fun place to be if you were a Christian. People in Rome hated Christians. People in Rome did not want Christians. And this man is saying, I am ready to go to Rome. What's waiting for you in Rome, Paul? It didn't mean anything to him. Because the only thing that he was interested in was, I want to save my, I want to serve my master. This is what I want to do with my life. My agenda is God's agenda. See, this is the problem we have in our time. If God was to speak to us this afternoon and say, I have a plan for you, how many of us 
would separate everything, all their all our plans, just cancel our agenda and say, Lord, tell me what you want me to do. I am ready. I wonder. Well, for Paul, he was ready to preach the gospel. It wasn't a vacation. It wasn't just a cruise over there to Rome. Most visitors, when they go to Rome today, they want to visit the, the Roman Forum, the catacombs, the, the Colosseum. And if you're a romantic person, you want to go to Fontana de Trevi. You know what that is? That is a place where you throw your coin beside the, your loved one. Fontana de Trevi. I had a chance to do this. There was a, When I went to Rome, I, was, I wanted to go with my wife to Fontana de Trevi. And that is a beautiful, beautiful fountain. By the way, Trevi was the designer, was the architect. The only problem is that day, uh, eight uh, cruise liners loaded with 3,000 people, each one harbored at the port, and there was over 30,000 tourists in the, in the center of Rome. You know how I had to throw my coin? <laughs> there was a line of people. I, I just couldn't even see the fountain. I said, that didn't look very romantic. <laughs> it wasn't like the movie. You know, you would want to go to these places, but if I were to go today, I would like to go to a place called Marmitine Prison, right across the Roman Forum. People say that just across that place, there's a hole in the ground, and the prisoner would have to be lowered by ropes to go down there. There are no stairs, there are no windows, just lowered down with a rope. No outside light. And many believe this is where Paul spent many days in prison. And I can just imagine a guard saying, hey, Paul, come on. He says, I'm ready. Whatever it takes. I am ready. Well, aren't you afraid, Paul? says, oh, no, I am ready. I am ready. I know what I'm getting myself into. But that's okay. Because... I owe my life to Jesus. See, we're talking about a completely different dimension of Christianity, a different level than what we are used to. If anything hinders our comfort zone, we, some, we automatically dismiss it. But Paul, no matter what it was, he says, I am ready. I am ready to live for Christ, but I am also ready to die for Christ. I want to go to Rome, where Caesar is emperor, where they hate uh, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to preach there that uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. It may cost my life, but I am ready. If you look at verse 13, it says, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, of that oftentimes I purpose to come to you. Paul has been wanting to go to Rome, but for, the Lord didn't allow him. He was waiting for the, for the green light to go to Rome. But remember, he's not going to a Rome where there's luxury and pleasure. He's going to a Rome where they torture Christians. So Paul was ready. He was ready to go. But notice something here in verse 13. It says, Now I would not have you angry, brother, that oftentimes I purpose to come to you, but the Lord didn't let him. So what was he doing? He was also ready to stay. You know, sometimes it's easier to go than to stay. Isn't it true? But you see, for Paul, it wasn't what I want, it's what God wants. I just want His will. If it's for me to stay here, fine. But, oh, I hope God gives me my heart's desire. I want to go to Rome because I want to see some food over there also. 
he was ready to stay. He was ready to go. He was ready to, to stay. And I honestly sincere that sometimes it's harder to stay than it is to go. So Paul was faithful to the obligations of the gospel. And then Paul was flexible to the opportunities of the gospel. Paul did not have an agenda. His agenda was offered to the Lord and said, Lord, you write my priorities. You do what you want with my life. And I don't know about you, but you know, this speaks volumes to my own heart. Because to be honest with you, I get up in the morning. I'm a driven person. I, I get up in the morning. I have 10 things to do. And by the way, if you have 10 things to do and you live in Lutia, you're in trouble. It's a very laid back place. If you get two things done, you have been successful. I'm a driven person. I need to get... And sometimes, you know, I go out there, try to do all the things that I planned all, all through the week. But I forget to come to the Lord and say, Lord, what is your agenda for me this week? How many people are out there that you want me to minister to with the gospel? How many people are out there that are hurting that need to hear the message of hope? Sometimes I go down the street, I don't even see people. They're everywhere, but all I am, I'm focused on what I want to do. But you know, when Paul went out there, all he saw was people that God could save. I want to be like that. I want to be sensitive. I want to be compassionate. So what do you see here? Paul was fearless to the oppositions of the gospel. Paul is going to Rome. Rome, the mighty Rome, the iron legions of Rome are there. Rome the, that ruled the world. Rome with her philosophers, with her gods, with her laws. And Paul is going from Jerusalem, from Judea, subjugated, ruled by the Romans. Paul, a little squinty-eyed humpback Jew, is going to this city and is going to preach the message of another publicly executed Jew. What would the Romans think of Paul? Paul coming from a place like Israel would be like a backwoods philosopher. They would laugh at him. They would persecute him. I came across an interesting commentary I'd like to read to you, just to give you some perspective of what Paul is trying to do here. It's a, uh, it's a commentary of, uh, of Romans by James Burton. It gives a backdrop of what Paul is saying here. Let me read it to you. It says, Paul's mention of not being ashamed of the gospel is appropriate because in the city of Rome were all the trappings of human glory, pride, selfishness, power, and cruelty, also every extravagance of intemperance, vice, and idolatry. Raw, naked force was enthroned there. Those fierce Romans had controlled the world for centuries, and in their lustful exploitation of power, they had shamefully held all human honor and virtue expendable. Ruthless, unprincipled, power politics sat naked and un. Uh, un- Mashed upon the throne of Caesar. And if there had been a place on earth where the, gen- the gentle teachings of the Son of God were despised, the great harlot on the Tiber was that city. Imagine, this is where you're going. Would you be anxious to go there? You know you're going to be beaten. You know that you know, everything's going to probably be going against you. What message do you have? 
Paul. And Paul says, I am not ashamed of what I have. You know what? Because it still works. You said it this afternoon. It doesn't get old. Oh, wow. You know, it, it still works. It's 2,000 years old, but it's as fresh as the first day. There is power in the gospel. And we saw that power bring somebody this morning to Jesus Christ for salvation. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, I wonder... How we respond when the opportunity comes to share the message of hope. You know, sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks to us and he says, I want you to give a track to that person. But you think, well, what are they going to think of me? The Lord says to your heart, I want you to give a, a testimony to your mother, to your, to your friend. And you say, well, what are they going to be thinking of me? If I tell them this, they're not going to be my friends anymore. Paul understood this as well as we do. But he says, you know what? If only one puts their faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ, there is power to save. Only one thing is needed. Belief. Belief. I wonder if we are ashamed. Paul was going to face serious opposition. But for Paul, it wasn't a problem. You see, I can see this this passage and relate and uh, and find a very interesting illustration in the Old Testament. Remember when David came to the camp and the Jews were standing one side of the of the valley, and then the Philistine on the other, uh, Goliath, a giant individual, giant Philistine, came every morning and every every afternoon came and said, "Send me a man that would come and fight against me." For Forty days. He made that challenge twice. That's eighty times. In 40 days. And nobody was willing to go down there. Then a young man comes in. And he says I will go. The first opposition he had was from from his brothers. You can't go. You go take care of those sheep over there. What are you here for you naughty boy? You're not able to do this. Who do you think you are? And And David said hey listen to me. When I was back there, in the, in the wilderness, and the bear came, or the lion came, the Lord delivered me. And this uncircumcised Philistine is going to be the next. And so Paul can say, I've been here, I've been there, I've fought my lions, I've fought my bears. The Lord has delivered me, you know, and this mighty Rome is going to come down also. It doesn't scare me, because God is with me. Oh, Paul, if I only had that seal. I don't know if you see this, if you want the same seal. I, I want this. Unfortunately, I don't have it. I have to confess it. I have to come to the Lord every day and say, Lord, help me understand what Paul is saying here so I can imitate the same thing. So we see, Paul is going to Rome. Then, what did Paul mean when he said, I am not ashamed? Well, I think he's mentioned, he thinks, he's thinking about three things. First of all, Paul was not ashamed of the person of the gospel. It is the gospel of who? Of life, life, life gate Baptist Church. Is that so? It is the gospel of Pastor O'Gorman. 
is the, the gospel of the Catholic Church. It is the gospel of the Methodist Church. It is the gospel of the Presbyterian Church. It is the gospel. No, Paul says, it is the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of that gospel. And that I am ready to preach it. Now Paul is not ashamed of the, not only the, the person of the gospel, but the purpose of the gospel. He says, it is power unto salvation. And that word power caught my attention. You know, it word, comes from the word dynamos. I'm sorry, dunamis. This is the way you pronounce it. It's a word where we get, for example, the word dynamite, or the word dynamo, or dynamic. What he's saying is, it is so powerful, it's like dynamite. The only thing that will trigger that dynamite to go and save somebody is simply believe. To those who believe. You might say, well, Pastor Sammy, I, I don't think it has the same power today because people are not being saved. Now, hold on a second. The problem is not with the seed. The problem is with the, with the, with the, with the soil. If people are not getting saved, it's simply because they don't want to put their trust in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. I wonder if this afternoon you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I'm not saved, but you know what? I want to be saved, but I don't think God can save me. All you need is faith. Trust. And obey, for there's no other way. There are some people who have substituted the saving power of the gospel for the social gospel, which is no gospel at all, by the way. All the social gospel is doing is, uh, uh, is making the world a better place to go to hell from. Others preach the prosperity gospel. But all that is doing is making people more prosperous to go to hell from. The purpose of the gospel is salvation. And Paul is saying, I am a debtor. I am a debtor to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a debtor to those around me. And I am a debtor to those that still have not heard. I need to go. And you know what? I know it will be effective. It has been effective everywhere I have been. And I know there are some people over there in Rome that would put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was not ashamed of the person. He was not ashamed of the purpose of the gospel. But notice now, Paul was not ashamed of the power of the gospel. It has the power to make drunkards, drunkards sober. It has the power to make crooked men straight. It has the power to make profane and lascivious men pure. And some of you know that power. Some of you are trying to find that power. If you allow me to be more direct. I, I know some of you come from the home, the men's home. Some of you have had very rugged lives. And you're trying to liberate yourself from, from all that. You're trying to find a different... You know where it all started? It starts with Jesus. You say, well, if, I, if I'm motivated, if I, if I have the right philosophy, I'll be able to free myself from all that and have a new life. You need Jesus. Amen. All of us need Jesus. Remember, he says, to the Greeks and to the barbarians. As far as I know, we're all barbarians this afternoon. Paul is saying, it's not about doing. It's about 
done. It's already done. All these religions that offer you hope, it's about do this and do that. But Jesus says, it's already done. It is finished. Just trust me. Just lean on me. It's not easy, believers. And it's not just having an intellectual understanding of the gospel. It is One, it is an an understanding that you are a sinner and you need to come to terms with that and then understand that the wages of sin is death, understanding the consequences of your sin and then understanding that there's a way out and that is Jesus. He is the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by Him. He says it's done. If I had trusted the best 15 minutes of my life to take me to heaven, I would end up in hell. And let me tell you something, you would too. Now you say, where are you taking us with all this, Brother Sammy? I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to have you, have you understand the heart of Paul so that we can come before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't just want Sunday religion. I just don't want formal Christianity. I don't, I don't want just uh, moderate Christian living. I want to find it. And the only way I can do that is saying, Lord, I'm a better. Lord, I am ready to serve the Lord. Lord, I am not ashamed. You saved me. But there's still a lot of people Start by that question, who are you, Lord? How many of you understand that He is Lord? That He is God, that He is sitting at the right hand of God. How many of you understand that? When you understand that, then the only appropriate response would be, What do you want me to do? Are you ready? Are you ready? Now this afternoon you haven't received Jesus Christ. Are you ready to receive? Today the day of the salvation. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wait to be better to come to Christ. You will never be better than now if you get saved. It was wonderful to hear the testimony of Sanders. He said, was, you said this morning she was, she was like life through. The Lord is working in her life. Every day she said, I'm ready. I'm ready. What a joy it is. Right? After salvation, one of the greatest joys you can have is leading somebody to the Lord. 
That will make your day. It will make your week. It will probably make your month or the year. Just one person more in the kingdom of God. But you know, there's more space in the kingdom of God. Space for you. Are you ready? Are you ready to be the heart of the Lord? You say, Pastor, I've been saved some years, but I think I'm ready now to open my eyes. I'm not ashamed to preach the gospel. It doesn't get old. It's as effective today as it was 2,000 years ago. Are you ready? Let's all stand and have a All heads bowed, please, eyes closed. Let me just try to speak to your heart for a minute here. I've been saved now for 36 years. When I gave my heart to the Lord, when I gave my life to the Lord, when I gave my sins to the Lord, this is what I was really given. When I gave my debt to the Lord, He paid for it. My life has been transformed. Since then, my, my greatest desire is to make Jesus known. And to make his gospel known. And this morning and this afternoon you had a chance to respond to that gospel. If you leave this room, if you leave this auditorium lost, it's not because the gospel is not powerful. It's not because the blood of Christ cannot save you. It is simply because you didn't put faith into it. Would you be willing? Are you ready this afternoon to say, Jesus... I am ready. I want to get saved. The Lord spoke to you this afternoon. All heads bowed, eyes closed. Just, just listen to me. If the Lord spoke to you this afternoon, you realize that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior and that He is the only solution to your problem. Would you be willing? Are you ready to give your heart to the Lord? I'd like to see your hand. You say, here, Pastor Brother Sammy, I'm I'm ready. I don't want to wait any longer. I want to get saved today. I know that is the ultimate solution to the problem that I have with my sin. Anybody here this afternoon like that? Are you ready to, to give yourself over to the Lord? He wants to save you. The only one that can allow him to save you is you by depositing your faith on him. Anybody? Raise their hand, say, Pastor Sammy, I'd like to get saved. Very good. You say, well, Pastor, I've been saved for many years now. I have my plans. I have my agenda. I have my future all figured out. But I understand that I need to open up to the Lord. If he comes down and says, are you ready to serve me? Would you be ready to say, yes, Lord, what do you want me to do? If the Lord spoke into your heart, maybe to be more active in church. Talk to the pastor at the end of the service and say, Pastor, would you train me to be a better servant? Maybe the Lord spoke to you to be a missionary somewhere. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Don't be afraid. If the Lord's calling you, the best response you can make is say, Lord, here I am. 
I'm ready. Has the Lord spoken to you in that, in that sense? I hope all of us can say this afternoon, answer those two questions. Who are you, Lord? And say, he is Lord. He is the sovereign one. And then say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come to this very interesting text where Paul gives his three I am. 